Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. On the day this episode comes out, November 10th, 2019, Jaya and I are likely to be driving back from our day-long retreat in Nashville, so I'll share any follow-up to that retreat sometime in the next couple of weeks. This week, though, I wanted to follow up on last week's episode with a more detailed discussion of the fifth precept. I have just one reminder and one new announcement before we get to that. The reminder is to go ahead and register now to join me and Maureen Hall at Heartwood Refuge in December for Training the Heart, Lifting Your Voice. Whether you want support and practice to make art, to make a more just world, or to create a healthier family, you can find something you need at this retreat. Please register now at heartwoodrefuge.org. That retreat is arriving quickly. The one new announcement is just sort of a preliminary save the date. Um, Friday, March 20th to Sunday, March 22nd of 2020, I'll be teaching a retreat for Flowering Lotus Meditation in Mississippi. We'll be using factors of the Eightfold Path to help clear the basic distorted perceptions that just seem to come as part of the package of being human. Other details will be forthcoming, but just wanted you to be able to get that on your calendar. For now, we'll do a deeper dive into the fifth precept and why it's an opportunity for all of us, not just people with addiction. Last week's episode on Sila brought us into contact with the five precepts that lay people are invited to undertake as a means of training the mind-heart toward freedom from suffering. This week, I wanted to talk a bit more about the fifth precept. I think one of the unintended consequences of the Buddhist recovery movement in the West, in some circles, is that people get the idea that the fifth precept is just for people who can be obviously identified as having an addiction of some sort. The message one can get is that this precept is particularly for you if you have an addiction, but if you are moderate, quote unquote, in what you do, you don't need to worry about it. Now, it is true you don't need to worry about a precept. It's completely up to you if you choose to undertake precepts as offered by the Buddha or not. But if you do, this fifth one really makes all the rest possible. Now, before I comment on situations where people are not having an obvious problem around their use of intoxicating substances or behavior, I do want to mention something to those of you who are struggling with this. If, you, if, if it is your intention to keep any precept and you find that you aren't doing that, please understand that you deserve to get support with this. Sometimes people need medical assistance and sometimes not, 
but the triple gem is made up of Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. In our culture, there is a tendency to think that getting help means going somewhere for a while to get new tools, and then to take those tools back to our compulsively self-sufficient lives and work with them alone. But that's not going to cut it. Yes, new tools are good and important, but what's even more important is to learn to change our entire relationship to life so that we aren't trying to use any of our tools alone. Even in those scenarios where you hear of a monk meditating in a cave for a few years, that person is doing that in the context of knowing they are part of a community, a community that's sending someone with food and mail up the mountain every so often. So they're still a part of everything, really. The solitude allows them to work with the mind in certain ways, but it's not that the ideal is to be isolated. Isolation doesn't support renunciation. It doesn't support insight into our interconnectedness. Our brains just don't work like that. Now, I also want to be sure we understand that the brain is not the mind. The mind refers to so much more than just the brain. But if your intention is to train the mind, we ought not ignore what we as humans have learned about the brain. The Buddha may have come to understand much of that instinctively through his own practice and wisdom, but the information we get through science can help us practically in our mind training and can also help us in terms of having hope and inspiration, and if you need it, even validation of what the Buddha has already taught. So here's one thing we know about the brain, and I was reminded of this in a brief training I attended a couple of weeks ago. We know that if we are right-handed and our right arm gets cut off, we will eventually learn to use the left hand to do everything. It won't be as easy. It'll take time, but it will happen. The brain will rewire itself to get that done. But if we still have two arms and two hands and we say to ourselves, you know, I'm just not going to use my right hand so much. I want to be more moderate or I just want to give that right arm a rest for, say, 30 days. We might, in that time, make some progress in rewiring the brain. It's not that we'll make zero. But two things are very likely. One thing is that we are very likely to put off taking care of some things until after 30 days to keep ourselves reasonably comfortable until we allow ourselves to use that right hand again. The other thing that's likely to happen is that we will have moments of getting frustrated with the left hand and we'll just say, I'll forget it and switch to the right hand. It's very difficult for the mind and even just for the brain to stick with training to use the left hand if the right hand is available, if it's an option. The reason for taking the fifth precept in the way that the Buddha taught it, with its original understanding of abstaining from intoxicants, not just moderating them, is so that the training has the best possibility of being successful for us. The mind will learn other means of coping when it sees clearly that it has to, so that the brain can take up other means and pathways to get things done. Now, this is why so often when you take up renunciation of one thing, you become aware of 
other coping mechanism, maybe something that's even long run, longer running, some means of self-soothing that you had even before drug use or some other compulsion began. And we find that if we are to rewire and retrain the mind to follow the path that does not lead to suffering, we end up needing support to abstain from those things too. Fortunately, the Dhamma gives us a whole other way to face and relate to our suffering other than the constant effort to self-soothe. Now, the title of this talk is The Fifth Precept for All of Us, and I want to acknowledge that some of us have opposite coping mechanisms. As my, fr- my friend Deborah Laudenstrom said years ago, yeah, it's pretty easy for me not to do things. Now, if that's the case for you, of course, one aspect is you may need to look at whether you're engaged in the self-mortification end of the spectrum, that sort of compulsive and unbeneficial deprivation that the Buddha warned was not only painful, but also as ignoble and meaningless as chasing happiness with self-indulgence and self-sense pleasure. Or you may be that person who seems to do it all just right but the feeling in your body and the people around you is a feeling of constriction and tension, both within you and around you, as you try to control um, and fight with your impulses. But maybe none of those scenarios fits for you. Maybe it's genuinely easy and even easeful for you to be free of intoxicants. If that's the case, and if you are seeking to follow the Buddha's path, I want to suggest that you consider doing exactly that, allowing yourself to be free of intoxicants. Not just because it's a precept of this religion or any other, but for other reasons. Chief among them, the fact that your abstinence can be incredibly supportive for others in the world who do struggle. Now, this not only shows up in uh, Theravadan or Thai Forest Buddhism, it also shows up in the New Testament letters of Paul. And again, it's not about trying to be good as much as it is about being helpful to other people. And not only helpful to other people, but helpful to yourself in your wish to be connected to other people. So this whole subject brings up one of the saddest things that I see regularly in my work in treatment centers and in private practice as a therapist and spiritual director. You have people in families or groups of friends that are genuinely concerned for the well-being and even the life of a loved one in treatment for some addiction or other. And meanwhile, part of what that person in treatment is thinking about is how they're going to be able to handle the holidays or other family get-togethers because these same family members who really do care for them are very attached to what they see as their right to indulge because in their mind, they don't have comparable consequences. And in fact, they may not. Years ago, in a volunteer capacity, I was once called to the home of a family who wanted guidance in getting help for a much-loved adolescent daughter. Her drug problem was something they were aware was threatening her life, although they mostly blamed her boyfriend for that. When I arrived, 
for this scheduled discussion that we had arranged, I had to say no thank you to alcohol more than once, as the judgment of most of the grandparents and aunts and uncles in the room were already compromised by their first round of drinks or so. But because they were well-dressed and well-fed and were meeting in a beautiful house, they didn't feel their own use of substances was anything to consider. I really felt a pit in my stomach for this young woman because I could see for myself how much of this family's connection with each other depended on having this sense of togetherness and um, conviviality that they, they had around the whole routine and ritual of drinking. If you are able to use drugs or alcohol without big scary consequences, you may not be aware of more subtle consequences, such as the fact that people who are working for a sober and aware way of living may be having to find polite ways to manage or even reduce their time with you. These may be people that you love a great deal and who love you a great deal, who really want to fit in with you and want to feel connected with you. It's particularly heartrending when a young adult is aware that living sober means giving up the illusion of connection that the rest of their family gets when intoxicated. Even when they're aware that what they're giving up is just the illusion of connection, It's hard to give that up if that's the closest thing to connection that is available in their family or their friend group or their community. So even if you are able to use intoxicants without apparent consequence, just be aware that your circle of connections is limited by your use, whether you find that immediately painful or not. And then, of course, There is what may seem to be a more subtle or maybe some people may even consider it sort of an esoteric reason for considering abstinence, which is the development of the parami of renunciation or simplification. These can actually increase the degree to which you are exercising free will. Now, this is nice for you, but it also makes others stronger in a way It's like realizing that you don't have to suffer from a particular disease to be a carrier. All human beings are wired to be carriers of addiction. We all like to feel good, and we all like to feel good without delay. But the development of the parami, and renunciation is an important one, allows you to be a carrier of awareness and wisdom. You do this for yourself and the people around you, and for all you know, You're also doing it for other people who may one day inherit the conditioning of mind that you are affecting in this lifetime. So it's pretty meaningful, no matter what your circumstances, to undertake fully the fifth precept. Let's sit with that for one minute.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.